Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week, we have a very special episode of the Happy Vagina podcast for Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month, recorded live in collaboration with Venus, the number one female razor brand in the world. The Venus for Pubic Hair and Skin Collection was developed from years of knowledge and skin expertise gained from designing products for women's bodies. And this collection is the first of its kind, made specifically for pubic hair and skin. Pubic hair is coarse and the skin is delicate, so for many women it requires a different approach to help avoid shave bumps, ingrown hairs, redness and itchiness, all of which Venus's collection has been specifically designed to help address. The range includes an award-winning razor with a smaller head to help you reach tricky areas, optimally spaced blades and an irritation defence bar. There's also three complementary pubic skincare products to help you with hydration, exfoliation and to reduce itch. One of my favourites is the two-in-one cleanser and shave gel, as it's clear, so you can actually see what you're doing. Where the hair is there, growing or gone, the products can be used together as a regimen or individually to fit your needs. Venus's full collection is pH balanced and free of parabens, dyes, fragrance and silicone, and it's also dermatologist and gynaecologist approved. You can try it for yourself at major retailers nationwide. Welcome. I hope that you've enjoyed getting to know your pubic with us so far today. I am extremely grateful that today's podcast and Revolution in Pubic Hair by Venus is supporting my charity, Lady Garden Foundation, for Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month and beyond. And to all of you here today who have consistently supported our mission to break down taboos and encourage more open conversation about everything to do with gynecology, intimacy, and body positive choices. The aim today is to get to know your pubic, and by doing so, know yourself and hopefully be more alert to symptoms of disease that might be missed when we sit in shame about our bodies. And there is still a lot of shame. I have a podcast called The Happy Vagina, and I have to catch myself all the time with my head going, oh, you can't say that, or you shouldn't think that, or whatever the thing is. So can I just get a hands up for anyone in the room who still uses the words bush, fuzz, or pubes, or any other kind of like nickname for your pubic hair, rather than just saying my pubic hair. And I want you to know that literally up until the beginning of this year, I was still doing it. So hands up if you still use a word that is not pubic, because you think pubic's a bit like, oh, what is oh. Dr. Stephanie Cuckoo on the panel, hand in the air. This is because she shouldn't have done that because you just know I'm going to go after her. <laughs> watch out, watch out, Stephanie. I'm coming for you. Listen, I don't want anyone to go away feeling like we've shamed them. You know, it's like the most important thing is that we understand that this is because of social conditioning and societal conditioning, you know, stemming from deep-rooted shame about bodies in general, not just women's bodies, but women's bodies get it worse, and you are not alone. Venus have done some research, and they've asked 2,000 women, and in 2023, 47% of women in the UK don't feel comfortable saying the word vagina or pubic in public. And 74% agree that we should be able to say those things in public and that actually we need to do more work to get rid of the shame. A little bit of housekeeping. The word pubic relates to the region of the mons pubis, which is down here. Just, I have to stand up, I'm not going to, I'm not sure I'll be able to get back up on the chair. Um, where some women choose to grow their hair and some do not. And we don't shame each other for our choices about that. And then just to come to vagina and vulva, can I get a hands up for anyone who still feels uncomfortable saying the words vagina or vulva? Ah, 
interesting. So in the room, for those listening to this after the event, we've got definitely got a, a lesser number of people. And I would suggest that, that means our work is working. Because when I started Lady Garden Foundation in 2013 into 14, nobody, nobody was happy to say the word vagina. It was like, it was a real slog, partly why we called the charity Lady Garden Foundation. So that's fantastic. And half of the women in the UK agree that society should stop using euphemisms like Lady Garden. <laughs> where's, my, where's my team from the charity, which has changed, changed the name of the charity. No, we love unnamed by charity. Um, to, to describe the view, should be called the Happy Vagina Charity. No, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, listen, we're all a work in progress, and um, I feel particularly strongly that we're in a period of history where divisiveness and judgment, in a weird way, is kind of backfiring. So you've got this really amazing women's movement. Like, it's amazing what's going on for women. And then within the women's movement, women are starting to attack each other for them not being, like, feminist enough or not being hairy enough or not being whatever it is enough that aligns with, you know, what your outlook on life is. And... You know, I do really believe that anything that has been put on our planet has been given to us to use the universe and therefore try to be respectful of other people's choices, but make sure you really get to know yourself and make choices for you that come from a place of really good mental health. You know, work out, unpick it, work out why you're making choices and then try not to attack other people as much as you can. We are not here to judge anyone for what they're going to do with their bodies and in their journey with their own self-love. We just want to educate and keep it real. To my lovely panelists I've got here today, I am joined by Dr. Stephanie Cuckoo, who cannot say the word pubic, Stephanie. <laughs> I'm Mika, it's great to be here. Pubic. <laughs> pubic, 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 pubic. Pubic, pubic, pubic. <laughs> Honestly, it's like it just becomes really natural if you say it. I did something last year and I was like, oh, it's really don't feel comfortable saying the word. And now I'm just like using it. Um, you know, Steph, we've known each other for a very long time. Um, I really admire your work. And I would suggest that women's health is there's there's progress being made in women's health uh, bit by bit, incrementally, little small things are happening. The rules are being rewritten. And this whole campaign is about a greater freedom. And I've watched you, and I'm going to use this word, and I was like, should I? I've watched you pivot, uh, which is <laughs> the word of the moment. I've watched you pivot your career, you know, from being a, a surgeon in the field of gynecological cancers into looking at what you were doing and saying, this isn't right for me anymore. There's something else that I want for my life and choosing to do something else. And can you just... Tell us a little bit about your career arc and your journey. Yes, I can. Hello, it's lovely to be here, pubic. <laughs> okay, start like every <laughs> Pubic. I am an obstetrician gynecologist by training, which means that at every given point, I have seen more vaginas than everyone in the room. I said vagina. And after 15 years, I chose to look after myself and choose to do my work in a different context in an environment that was easier on on me in general so I left the NHS um, and now work as women's health innovator and operator so I'm vice president of a, a biotech that works um, in the in at the intersection of IVF and deep tech and trying to um, improve access to IVF um, I advise women's health companies I still do what I what I did when I looked after women, whether they were delivering babies or they had gynecological cancers, which is try to make sure that we continue to improve access outcomes and most importantly, choices for women. So it's some, I, I think a pivot is, is a great way to put it. But I think within pivot, there always lies passion. And my passion has always been and will always be women's health. So it's, um, it's great to be here to talk about my pubic. <laughs> Because when I first met Stephanie, all she so uh, Lady Garden Foundation was started because my next door neighbour, Dr. Susanna Banerjee, became the head of oncology for gynaecological cancers at the Royal Marsden Hospital. And she asked me to help do some fundraising for her into uh, research to um, make better treatments for those specific cancers. And with a group of women, we created Lady Garden Foundation. And Stephanie at the time, because I've known her a long time as a friend and, and, and collaborative partner, said, all I want to do is work with Dr. Susanna Banerjee. 
That's what I want to do. I want to be in the NHS. I want to be at the Royal Marsden. And once you got there, what was it like? Yeah, I mean, I've wanted to um, look after women since I was, I think I was 20, 20 years old when I thought I want to look after women. I want to be a women's health doctor. Um, and it, the whole journey was amazing. Um, in every situation, it's the most intimate, extraordinary thing. Like think of any situation where you've been in front of a doctor or gynecologist um, and thinking of it in the context that, you know, a woman is also, um, well, first and foremost a woman um, who has a lot of the same problems that most people do when they go to see gynecologists but it's also quite extraordinary because women's health has changed I mean you know when I started it was a much more rigid environment um, it was difficult to connect with people because the culture of how we approach women and talk to women from the other side of the table about their health or and I'm sure, and I, you know, you asked earlier how many people still have a problem seeing the word vagina. I mean, it depends on the context. If I was sitting in front of a patient, of course, I use the word vagina, but I would never use the word vagina in front of my, my father-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> still today. So I wasn't extremely honest. And I think only one, only Emily put her hand up. But actually, the question should have been, how many of you would feel comfortable using the word vagina in any context, in any situation, if you needed to. And of course, I, you know, even as a gynecologist by training, I don't think that I would use the words vulva or vagina in every context. I'd find a softer word, but, I think. But Steph, when you were working um, actually kind of on, on the floor as a consultant, if you, if you said the word vagina to a woman, would she actually know what you meant? Because actually the truth is, is that quite a lot of people don't know the difference between the vulva and the vagina. I think that if you said vagina, they just presumed it was everything down there. And did you use it in that context ever? Not you. Let me talk about the whole profession. Would you suggest that the profession was using that? I think a... that sometimes for ease, if it was the middle of the night and it was 4 a.m. and a woman had just delivered a baby and you were trying to sew up a fourth degree tear and there was blood everywhere, you didn't really go into explaining the, the, the anatomy and saying, now I'm sewing up the vulva, now I'm going to the vagina, now there's a tear in the, in the lateral wall of the... Obviously not, but but if, if I was in a, in a cancer clinic, for example, and you were examining someone, then obviously you have to yeah. explain the difference between the... The labia minora and the labia majora. You have yeah. to be specific anatomically in the yeah. cervix and the internal os and explain what the difference between the external part of the cervix yeah. and the relationship of the internal part of the cervix yeah. to the lining of the womb and the tubes and this continuum of anatomy that, yeah. you know, we have to deal, we have to treat the same. Yeah. If you can't say vulva and vagina, then you can't, you probably don't understand. Yeah. everything and how it's all connected yeah but I think things change I think as, as gynecologists of course we're you know you're happy to you have to you have to be very clear and descript but I don't think in unless you needed to explain the anatomy you necessarily right. made sure yeah. so the, you know I guess you could say did every patient that leave your room did they understand the anatomy do you think that well, can you be sure that they knew exactly yeah. what's what and of course the answer is no yeah well, it can be quite overwhelming as well when you're taking in quite a lot of new information, particularly exactly. if, if the information is also about your health. One thing I did not know that was going to happen in this podcast is that you were going to be funnier than me. So, <laughs> I mean, hang on a second. <laughs> but, I think my husband's going to laugh at that because apparently I'm not so not funny. You, you're very funny, but also I just, you know, thank you for... Um, you know, I just think talking about your mental health and changing your career in order to look after it, which I think to hear a doctor say that is actually really inspiring that you know it's okay at some stage where you feel like things aren't actually where you want to be to change your outlook and move into an area where you can look after yourself better um and I'm very lucky to have you in my life to inspire me uh Frauke hello from Venus who is joining us to tell us why the pubic razor really works and I just really honestly genuinely need to tell you it does so this is my second this is my second honor of hosting a podcast with Venus and I had tried one last time and I was like yeah it's good and now it's two years on and I'm like oh my god it's like life-changing Falka, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself sure well first of all thank you for having me on your podcast my name is Frauke Neuser as you can tell by my name and my accent I'm not a native of this country I'm German. I'm a scientist by background, a chemist. I moved to this country 
very exactly 23 years ago after my, I finished my PhD and started with uh, Procter & Gamble, the company behind um, fabulous brands just, such as Venus. I'm a um, passionate scientist. I love science. I love that our company has a lot of strong, powerful women in the sciences, you know, women developing products for women. <gasps> Shock horror, that's sort of a, a novel okay, concept. I, I don't need me. <laughs> I found my co-hosts. <laughs> but several years ago, actually, I left the lab, so I'm not sort of the lab scientist in the lab coat and the glasses and mixing together ingredients. I moved sort of to, to a role where I'm much more involved in partnering with external experts, really looking after our, you know, sort of clinical research partnerships with dermatologists, universities, because we're good, but we're not so good that we don't need external partners to do the work we do. And, and a big role is also communicating our science, education, bringing the science to life. Why is it important? What is uh, some of the amazing science that goes into our products? And so, and especially the areas of cosmetic science, cosmetic chemistry, hair and uh, skin physiology are where I can really geek out, mm. if you let me. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, we, so we've, we've already sort of touched on, on shame. I think I'll just start with a question for both of you. From your points of view, kind of from a clinical point of view, what do you think? Where do you think the shame comes from about women's bodies and what would you like to see happen differently around it? Or what are you doing to make difference around it? I mean, that's, I think that's a very deep question. How much time do you have, right? How many, how many centuries, thousands of years do we go back? So where, where is, does it all come? I think it's, um, you know, we've done a lot of work about nature and nurture, how much is in our genes and how much is actually our environment. Have you? Yes. Can you say a bit about in, that? In the context, actually not in the context of shame, but in the context of skin and how you age, for example. Yes. But nurture, you know, we, I think a lot of us overestimate the power of our genes and underestimate the power of nurture. And clearly, you know, it's the culture that has, we, you know, 10,000 years ago, nobody was ashamed running around as they were. You know, there weren't any clothes. Yeah, we were a bit more hairy. Would have been a good time, you know, to sell Gillette razors. But it, clearly it's been a cultural invention, shame in my mind, but not just cultural, especially there are lots of things that, you know, church, religion, society, in the broader sense. So, so, so when I was a teenager, one of the things that I remember about German women was that they actually let their hair be quite present. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, the internet has kind of like, you know, sort of whitewashed us all. We're all kind of like, you know, don't have these significant differences that we used to have. What, what was your experience like as a teenager with her? I'm not, not only am I German, I'm East German. I grew up right. in East Berlin when the war was still up, so I'm now outing myself in terms of my age. Um, well, and so absolutely I'm not actually amazing. You've obviously got some good nurture going on. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done any particular research into West and East Germany. Maybe it is really German women. Maybe there's a bit of an aspect of East um, as well. Mm. I just can't remember people being so, women being so obsessed with removing Mm. with visible body hair when they they weren't it was definitely a thing i really does anyone else remember that that it was kind of there was a significant cultural difference there between the british mm. i'd say and the germans that that but do you remember the first moment that you thought that you might yeah. start exploring removing your hair and what was the thought process behind it for you was yes. it definitely a choice for you i'm i'm actually a natural blonde so i know for me something's really because my body hair is blonde right. so it's maybe not as visible as for someone who's dark hair, but I went to, um, I remember, you know, that's shocking that I still remember it so well. I went to Australia in 19, oh, now let's see, 1994, 1995, um, sort of as, sort of, sort of, um, before I did my final exams, went to two months just by myself to Australia to backpack and have a good time. Did you have a good time? I had a fantastic time. I <laughs> Hence the hair removal. <laughs> We're about to find out. <laughs> and then, was it Sydney? Was it Bondi Beach? One of those, you know, I'm at the beach lounging around in my bikini and a group of young guys walks past and makes sort of some passaway comment about someone needs to do some gardening or cleaning up or whatnot. Okay. Yes. What's the Florida? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Florida is a bit of a disaster at the moment politically, so I think that's a good substitute for the word F-U-C-K. Yeah. So I was, you know, it probably took me a while to actually realise yeah. that they were talking about me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Why would you even care? Yeah. I didn't say anything. I did sort of get it did go around. in though. It went in though. But the fact that I do remember that. In. Yeah. You know? Were you grown up? Because I wasn't very grown up as a teenager and in my kind of university years, I was pretty immature. If someone told me to do something, I was like, yeah, just do it. Did you go home and actually have a good think about it and think, is this something that I want to do? Or do you think that you ashamed into kind of surrender into doing it? No, I actually didn't. I didn't act on commons. Probably took me another... 20 years to oh. fully, fully embrace oh, that's pubic, so cool. pubic hair removal. Oh, that's so cool. I love you even more now. <laughs> Steph. Shame. Shame. It's really interesting <laughs> because, of course, one would think that given um, my experience, 15 years looking at vaginas every day, that I wouldn't, that I, or at least my perception, my personal experience will be that, you know, there is no shame and it's all fine and dandy. But actually... One, speaking as a professional, I think that we see it as an anatomical part. So if you're a gynecologist, you're a surgeon, a vagina is like a bone for an orthopedic surgeon. So there is no shame. But I do remember, especially when you delivered babies, sometimes you'd go into rooms and women would apologize for having hair. And you're like, babe, I just want a healthy baby. I don't care about your hair. But, you know, women were so conscious of it, even with a female gynecologist. And of course, as we know, we have more and more female women's health doctors. But there were, but yeah. But then, you know, think of a time when it was like, I, I guess if the women, it was all men or I guess the, the midwives were mostly female. Um, but women in general, I guess I was always surprised by how embarrassed women would be about women were about hair. And culturally as well, there were some groups and races of women that they clearly were totally shaved like before they came in. And so I never thought anything about it until I, you know, had I had a baby a year ago and I really did kind of plan to have everything off because yeah I just didn't like the idea of lying there and all these people in the hospital and looking down there and you know I felt like shame like but but why did I think it's less embarrassing if I didn't have any hair does that make mm. sense it's the same organ and mm. yet even with my experiences I, I think that you know obviously I'm a woman first before I'm a professional and, and certainly the shame is there. I mean, I even felt it was weird for me to have my husband look down there because I, I called all my gynecologist friends going, oh my God, it took me 42 to be pregnant, but I delivered so many babies. How did I not notice that it, it gets big? You know, like... <laughs> Does well, it? Every, well, I think that my... The vulva swells in pregnancy? It, vulva. How exciting. vulva, yes. You used the right word there. Yeah. Yes, I guess you don't think about your own even as a professional person, wow. but I remember That's really being pregnancy as everything changes. So mm. then you, you're more aware of your body mm. and you have, you can't ignore it. And mm. I think it's then I realized mm. the shame that I felt because I was like, oh my God, it's big. Oh, don't look, but I'm your husband. I got you pregnant. Don't look, mm. you know, it's like, oh, I'm going in for my C-section. I have to make sure the hair is off and oh, I, you know, I don't. So, I mean, I think the shame, there is always going to be some sort of shame. I think it's just how we, how we use the shame mm. to empower ourselves and in what context. I have a daughter now, so clearly I have, you know, hopefully by the time she's at the age where, you know, someone was just mentioning about a seven-year-old gang, seven, a seven-year-old who uses the word vulva. That yeah. seems, she's nine. She's nine. She says yeah, vulva. but still, I hope that I'm that parent that feels no shame in using the word vulva, you know, like my husband and I at the moment, we say lule, like what? What is lule? Where did we even get lule from? You use the word loony? Lule. Lule? Yeah, but she's, she's not old enough. No, for her, her vagina. But she's not old enough to, I mean, she's 10 and a half months. But actually, when we. <laughs> but what I mean is, she's not said mummy and daddy yet. <laughs> but we're trying to teach her how to say vagina. Lule. But exactly, yes. but we should be. Should we be saying vagina? Yes. Right now to yes. her? Yes. Okay. So we'll stop yes. saying Lule. Yes. But clearly, I think even as an individual, what, yes, I, the point I'm trying should. to make is being a professional doesn't mean that you are completely there. We are, I am where I need to I be. I really appreciate that. As far as shame. I mean, actually, why, why do we say Lule? But I we think, do. So I think it's well, really we have some brave work to do. what you just shared. I think yeah, it's really I brave mean, to be that I'm honest human. about it. And I think it's really interesting, the gaps. There's the gaps, isn't there, about, you've already said it in, in, when you introduced yourself as well, like you, or when we were talking about vagina, you'd say it in a clinical situation, but not necessarily in front of your father-in-law. I'd like to meet him. Um, and, um, <laughs> and you are, and, and that you have to really, I think, to admit that you struggled just recently, having got pregnant with your partner, to feel deeply okay with what your vulva looks like with him. It's like, that's brave. And it, it, that is what makes change. You know, the little cracks. Uh, <laughs> 
Let's the light in, etc. Yes. Um, um, so, so thank you, thank you so much for sharing that. And I, um, you know, shame does come from from religious texts. For anyone that doesn't know, doesn't listen to my podcast already, because I talk about this a lot. The, the way that the medical profession was created was, well, first of all, they weren't allowed to examine dead bodies because the church, uh, who were much more powerful at that time than they are now, actually refused to let people cut up dead bodies because they were terrified of what that would do. And then when they agreed to let them cut up the dead bodies, they said that it could only be people who had um, done something wrong, a criminal charge, and then been hung for it. So these people would not have a soul, essentially. During that period of time, there were many more men on the road and getting into more trouble than there were women because women were often back in the kind of like family, community, tending the children. It was a much more tribal existence and the men were the wanderers. So there were very few women, except for all those witches that they killed, I think 150,000 or something, burnt. <sighs> anyway, there were many, <laughs> there were less women who had been tried and then hung to be cut up. So uh, very famously, um, Leonardo da Vinci, who, has, who was the second person to draw accurate anatomy uh, the first one was Garland, I think. It's in the book. And he basically used animals. He cut animals up in order to draw a woman's anatomy. And then the church absolutely banned. So there's all these old ancestral books that have flaps. where the So the penis is out, just like hanging out as they do. And the <laughs> vagina has like this flap on it in the, in the anatomical books. You have to lift it up and look at it. So if you want to know where shame comes from, <laughs> that's where it started, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I do think, Steph, it is, it, you said I don't know if it'll ever go. I, I actually do think it will at some stage. Um, by then, we'll all be living in the metaverse. So I don't know what that means. But um, I mean, I know what the metaverse means, but I don't know what that means in terms of shame in the vagina. Shaving. And as I've already said, it's really important to make sure that you're making choices for yourself that are right for you. Uh, I was raised by a really radical feminist mother who caught me shaving my legs. Uh, I don't think it was with a Gillette being a shaver. I don't think uh, showing my age, I don't think they existed then. I'm not, but I mostly used them all my life. Anyway, so my mum walked in and I was like shaving above my knee. Okay. And she walked into the bathroom and was like, what are you doing? She had hair everywhere. Uh, she had hair everywhere, hairy armpits, hairy legs, shaved head, shaved head, hair everywhere else, uh, big bush. Uh, second wave of feminism, radical. My mum was radical. She pubic, Mika. Pubic. pubic. Well, I pubic think bush hair. is a design. No, bush is like wearing a like a mini skirt over just saying a skirt. She had a lot of pubic hair. Um, and uh, and anyway, so she caught me shaving my legs. I was probably about three. No, I wasn't. I was thirteen. I was thirteen and trying to go out nightclubbing. So I shaved my legs, and um, she was cross. And and she went and she said to me, she didn't tell me off for shaving my legs, but she told me off for shaving above the knee. Because apparently you weren't meant to shave above the knee. Has anyone, yeah, that, I've got like all these. Does anyone know where that comes from? Somebody else. So Siri does. <laughs> she basically told me off. Um, it was a really difficult moment because I was trying to find my way as a teenager and be as naughty as I could and go out clubbing. Um, but she basically, because my mom was such an amazing woman, she went out and she studied women's legs. <laughs> And then she asked a few of her friends that did shave and they all told her and she could see on women's legs that they absolutely shaved above the knee. And she she came back and apologized to me and said, you know, I'm really sorry I've made a mistake and you it's absolutely fine for you to shave your legs. I want to support you. And she bought me a nice razor and supported me in it. But I guess I've come from a from an existence of a woman who could be very judgmental in her feminism, but always was consistently trying to work against it and make sure that she was coming at me with an open mindedness and a kindness. And I think that the Venus campaign uh, about knowing your body and making good choices for your body in terms of hair removal or not for a greater freedom really reflects what I experienced with my mum, which is why I'm so pleased to be working with you. Falka, you have made, as I've already mentioned, the most phenomenal pubic razor. I used to wax. I still wax occasionally, but these razors would put waxing out of business, let me tell you. What is it about them that is so different? I mean, I actually used it to shave my legs today. And they felt so good, but I think it's not, it's not quite for the legs. It's definitely for the pubic area. Absolutely. And just to clarify, it wasn't for me personally, single-handedly developing this, the razor. She's there's, funny and she's got the humility as well. Team. And she works with pubic hair. Who is this woman? 
But yeah, so um, and I, I think one of the big advantages of working, uh, you know, of having you know Venus be part of a very big family of brands, with Procter and Gamble, as I mentioned, is that we have so much expertise in, in hair and skin because we make lots of different products that all have something to do with skin, and a lot of them actually have to do with pubic skin. Mm-hmm. Talk about always Tampax. Talk about babies and pampas. I mean, if we right, we we have this vast knowledge of skin. Uh, we actually have a lot of knowledge and and hair removal, and at some point, you know, those uh, the, it was really sort of a, a point in time when we said we can do better. You know, Venus was obviously in the market; mm. people loved the products, but we did realize there were you know parts of the body that weren't necessarily getting the greatest shave with mm. the existing products. Mm. And 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 the Venus um, pubic hair and skin collection does just that. It's it's very specifically looking at what are the physiological, biological differences in the hair and the skin. I mean, it, it is very different, as we all know. It's actually a, a very unique, if I can get just geek out for a second. Please do. Very unique region where, you know, three types of skin come together. So skin with hair, which you have almost everywhere on your body, Skin without hair, not so much. Only a few areas, like your lips or, you know, soles of your feet, not very common. And mucosal skin. So those three skin types coming together, where else does it happen? Your nose and your mouth and your pubic area. So it is very special. Now, if you think about how do I, let me think, how do I care for my mouth and my teeth? I'm going to rinse with a bit of soapy water every night. Oh, wait, no, I don't. I have a toothbrush. I have toothpaste, I floss, I do all these things specifically for this unique area. Mm. And it's it's very similar with your pubic area. It has different anatomy, different needs. Skin is up to twice as thick. Skin is half as thin, mm. the outer layer. So you're just dealing with a different environment. And so you need products that take all of this mm. into account. Yeah, and I guess, you know, I think one of the things that's happening is often, so we've got quite a a rampant following on the Happy Vagina Instagram feed. And they're always, whenever I post about something, it's like that women, women are being like forced to like groom. And it's like kind of somehow or other that the commodities that are sold to women, which there's a long list of them, are that we're victims of that. And I, as I've already said at the beginning of the podcast, I really do believe that things are put on the earth to choose. If, you know, for everything from hair removal to abortion to, you know, whether you use a condom or a pill, these things are there for us to choose from as long as you know why you're choosing it. And I feel like hair removal fits into that. And that if we are going to remove our hair, we should have the best products. And one of the things that I love the most about the products is that the removal gel is clear so that when you're shaving your pubic hair, you can see through it and see what you're doing. And it's like, uh, that's just like, it's not rocket science. Well, or, or is it? Or is it? <laughs> if, and if you haven't seen the peaches at the back of the room, I think every, everybody who came in was like, peaches, let me go and check it out. A, an inspired product demonstration that shows just that, you know, typical shave gel and mousse is great for your armpits, for your legs. You probably don't want to be flying blind down there Mm. with a very, very sharp instrument. So a clear shave gel can make all the difference. And that is the key to the razor is that it is slightly less sharp, isn't it? So the shave that I, because I've used on my legs today, would I say... That's strictly speaking, not so the blades are just as sharp as the other Venus razors, but you only have two blades rather than three or four. Okay. And so, for example, so, I mean, I use a five-bladed razor on, on my legs. Yeah. And you get, an incredibly close shave, as we call it, which means you're basically cutting hair below the surface of the skin because five times you're cutting and lifting so it. So it pulls it up from the exactly. epidermal layer? Well, it's, I don't know if well, there's no idea. Look, <laughs> did a, I did a mass. Is that right? Is that right? No. Well, it pulls it out of its follicle. Okay. A lot of women don't love it. And so for them, the two-blade razor is much, much better. And does it last as long if you use the two-blade? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So can you just tell us a little bit? So there's three products in the range. We've got the gel, which I've just mentioned. Well, we actually, first of all, we have an exfoliating wash. Oh, yes, so exfoliation is very important for any kind of hair removal, also other areas of your body, right? Because you want that, you know, you want dead skin cells removed. You actually want the hair to sort of almost come through the upper skin layers very cleanly and not have to deal with pushing stuff out of the way. So regular exfoliation is very important. So that's a physical exfoliant. Then you have um, the shave gel, the clear one, as you're shaving. It's a cleanser and a shave gel, so you don't have to use two products, don't have two steps. Then you're you're shaving. And afterwards, we have a serum Mm. with um, lactic acid. So it's basically an 
AHA serum. Most of us will be familiar with AHA in, on, in the face, right? So a chemical exfoliant that then, you know, you can use this daily after you shave to really prevent any ingrown hairs from potentially happening mm. in the future. Mm. So you're really stacking the odds, right, and in, in, in sort of no ingrown hairs. And that is key, isn't it, afterwards? The aftercare. I mean, I think because I've waxed so much, actually, my skin in that area is quite not my actual vulva, but the bikini line, as yes. it were around the edges is quite yep. robust because the because I've I mean I did have a girlfriend who used to love my Brazilian and she went to try and get one one day and she was like I just don't she said she got halfway through and she had to go home <laughs> she was like what are you doing you nutter but I didn't for me it, it was okay but I think now that area of my skin is quite is quite quite robust from waxing yep you've trained it well yeah well no but actually the exfoliant is really important because because of yes. that i can get ingrown hairs because yes. the hairs when they try and grow through can't necessarily get through so exfoliating afterwards is absolutely vital. i think it's the before and, and regular exfoliation leading up yeah and they you know sort of i i like the the physical exfoliant which the um exfoliating wash has yeah and then the chemical exfoliant the lactic yeah. acid sort of as aftercare because it also moisturizes, yeah. keeps your skin in great condition. Yeah, they are really amazing products. Steph, you've already mentioned having a baby. A little, you've had a little girl, and that, I have. and that you did some preparation for that using a Venus razor. Yeah, I mean, you know, when when Mika asked me to speak and say, you know, we we, we Mika always talks about awareness and and any opportunity to talk about women's health or just talk about women's anatomy which leads to women's health awareness which leads to charities like lady garden um improving outcomes in women um and i'm always open to that but i guess um the, there's always a connection everything is connected and so i don't really I, I feel like any opportunity to speak to women is important um and so when i was thinking about you know venus okay they're supporting lady garden why how how is this what is the continuum how is this important as far as women's health awareness and education I try to think of the context of my own sort of personal experience so one is that everybody everyone has pubic hair everyone shaves or waxes and even if you wax um, like I do most of the time there's always a situation where you don't have time to wax before your flight and you shave with a five blade razor or do something silly and for those of us who have lots of hair that grows that way it's at like the 70s one it's like a shorts lots of pubic bikini. hair but it's just the direction sometimes yeah. for some people <laughs> wide wide pubic hair exactly. wide exactly wide pubic. it's important you know I've always I've always had to think about my pubic hair but most mostly when I was having a baby because and some of you may not know this, and I'm sure there are mothers in the room, but when you have a C-section, with I, which I did, like in th they have to shave the top of the mons, and some of us grow hair up far, <laughs> and they have to shave you because there's a, you essentially, the line, the incision is sort of two centimeters above the pubic mm. bone. So it's in, it's on the mons pubis. Mm. And I think, guess over the years, I would see, like we'd go into theater and before I scrubbed up and, you know, and, and made an incision, you're always aware of that area. But I would always remember, especially as a junior doctor, like doing C-sections in the middle of the night, how that when women were shaved in a hurry, so you go in, you know, we need to deliver the baby and go in and they just like took a, like a random big razor and you shit. And so that was my, I literally was like, I would have these dreams that just, I'd have to have an emergency section. Someone would take a big razor and just shave me. So I was quite prepared for weeks before, but I mean, it sounds like, you know, why do I have to know about how to shave or why, why does it matter? It's just, you can, you can shave with anything, but actually Franco said there are, you know, you could get ingrowing hairs, you can get lots of things happen. And I just, I think it's great. That we're thinking, if we're thinking about, tailor personalizing women's needs on the outside mm. then we're, we're thinking and talking about other things the more important things like mm. cancer and mm. what we should be talking about and buying and thinking about so it's yeah it's super important well it's also like, what you just what you what i've heard you say is actually just self-care you know self -care. and actually knowing yourself and if and if and if and, and actually really honoring you know, your goddess inside of you that wants to treat her body in the highest way that you want to. And that's not having someone else shave you with a razor you don't want to use. And you thought about it and it was part of your, you know, your route to having your daughter was making sure that you were thinking about those things. Yeah. And I would, you know, and you've, you've touched on it, but 
<laughs> that level of self-care about one's body, which I don't know about everyone else here, but it's taken me most of my life to get there, to like really kind of deeply start thinking about my body at that high level. It's really hard. Life's busy. As we've already described, we've got all got this shame. There's so many things that stop us and we're sort of like, you know, chopped off at the neck and we think we're great at thinking, aren't we? We're great at thinking human beings. We're not so great at actually feeling our bodies. And I don't just mean emotions. I mean, like really being in touch with our body and knowing what the, what, what, what's, what's right, what's wrong for us. And one of the things that I would suggest with shaving is that you get to know that area of your body better. You know, so if there's something there, I mean, other than masturbation, which I highly recommend if no one's, if anyone listening or here is not doing it already, it's like, I mean, the things, the benefits are just off the chart. Seriously, not only do you know how you come, but also you, so you can teach someone else. And, and also when you are doing it, you get all like the oxytocin and the, what else do you get, Steph, from like- Self-examination. Self-examination, but also like, it's like a pain reducer. Climax and pleasure will reduce pain. Meditation. Pain. Don't take Nurofen. Don't take Nurofen. Get your hand down there and have a little bit of a... Absolutely 100%. Honestly, it's, it's um, actually amazing, the benefits, the hormone releases that come when you give yourself pleasure and you don't have to climax to get them. And on, I mean, on a more medical note, I think, you know... Just... <laughs> not, that, not that orgasms and oxytocin releases are medical, but... Seth's like, this was not in the script. <laughs> I did not agree to tell you about my no masturbation. She's like, any second now, she's going to ask me what my masturbation technique is. I'm not. Don't worry. We can move on. Let's go back to cancer. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. Really bad, you know, I have a 10-month-old baby. There's no masturbation. <laughs> but um, but, but know, no, um, you know, um, women find things. If you yeah. shave, you know, it's, it's self-care is pathognomonic. Sorry, it's a medical term, but it, it, it is related. I'm so sorry, but what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it means it is, it, it, it's a term that, you know, that, that essentially describes how to recognize certain signs and symptoms that are connected to other things. So if you self-care, you are more likely to find a lump. You are more likely to oh, do a breast exam when you do. You are more likely to not ignore that pain or that weird thing and go and see a doctor. There yeah. is something connected it's like it's 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 a it's a confounded it's like, it's like yeah. if you do if you look after yourself regularly. well regularly and aren't afraid to you know get to know your pubic yeah. area then you're more likely to not delay going to see a doctor if there is yeah. a funny pain or there's yeah. weird bleeding or there's weird discharge or yeah. and so it's all connected and so for me it's important that in whatever capacity externally and internally we continue to talk about yeah self-care and pubic and vaginas and vulvas and all the rest of it yeah yeah and smash and smash the shame um i am slightly concerned that you're not masturbating just because you've got a 10 month old but we can talk about it afterwards uh <laughs> Steph and I have been friends for 10 years. We've never had chats like this in real life. She's like, she's like, there's the shame though. There's the shame, you know, like she's like one of my closest girlfriends. We share a godchild and we don't talk like this in real life, but we need to. It's so important. Frauke, shame in German or pubic in German has a different meaning. Not as a, a different meaning, but the, the, the German word for pubic hair is basically the, you know, shame hair, the hair of shame. Say it in and German. And those of you... Shamha, Shamha in German, right? So, it's pubic um, hair. so it's yeah. So it's and and you can't you 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 say you can't say pubic. Well, then try the German, right? Because every time you say the you know it's sham, sham is in there. It's something to be ashamed of because it's literally in the name. The audience and so, are irate. <laughs> I feel a German campaign coming on. <laughs> oh, there's, there's actually a beautiful Venus campaign in Germany, which is called hashtag Schambefreit. So, you know, free yourself of the shame and yeah. the double, you know, of the shame, but also of the pubic hair. Yeah. If which you is want to. Lovely. If you want to. If you want to, which is the, the key to it all. Totally, totally. But, but I mean, you know, if, if that, yeah, I mean, that's quite shocking when you think about that, that that's the name mm. for it. We're going to take a short break. Before we do, I just want to let you know that this podcast is produced by the female-founded production company, Pineapple Audio Production. Pineapple create groundbreaking podcasts from concept through to your headphones at the very highest level of audio. 
Their international team support independent podcasts like mine, The Happy Vagina, as well as major brands like the BBC and Grazia. And they are super passionate about helping young people into the audio industry. To find out more, go to pineappleaudioproduction.com or check them out on Instagram at pineappleaudioproduction. Just to remind you, this episode has been recorded live in collaboration with Venus. Venus is proud of its partnership with Lady Garden Foundation, now in its second year, through which they are raising awareness and essential funds for gynecological health via a limited edition starter pack at Superdrug. Each pack sold equals one donation, and these partnerships are so important, which is why I am delighted to continue to work with them and champion their Know Your Pubic campaign. Shaving your pubic hair with the wrong tools can cause irritation, itch during regrowth and ingrown hairs. That's why the Venus for Pubic Hair and Skin Collection is specially designed for the pubic area. Whether the hair is there, growing or gone, the full collection is pH balanced and free of parabens, dyes, fragrance and silicone and is also dermatologist and gynecologist approved. You can try the full range for yourself at all major retailers nationwide or shop the limited edition Lady Garden Foundation donation starter pack only at Superdrug. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think, you know, my mum was, as I've already mentioned, a feminist and really should have missed, known the symptoms. She, she trained as a nurse. She should have known what the symptoms were of ovarian cancer and she didn't. You know, it's, it's no secret. I talk about it a lot. It's a huge part of my work and with the charity, having lost my mum to ovarian cancer. So I feel like, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record. But the truth is, it's a bit like at the very beginning when I mentioned the chap in the taxi who said, how do you spell vagina? Um, you know, everyone, just one person that I can help know what the symptoms are. That's kind of enough, you know, little incremental changes and, and, um, and it's okay to sound like a broken record. And I, I guess, Steph, can you, just because it is ovarian cancer awareness month and I am, and I'm so grateful to Venus who are donating one donation per pack that's being sold at Superdrug from these amazing magical razors. Um, for supporting my charity, we we do amazing amazing work. One of the drugs that we that we co-funded, Olaparip, is on the market um, and now saving or not saving, but prolonging the lives of women who've been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And I just you know it's really it's just we're just super grateful grateful to Venus for for supporting us. We we really couldn't do it without brands like you um, helping us lead the way for change in terms of women's cancers in general, but specifically ovarian. Steph, can you tell us what the symptoms are of ovarian cancer? The symptoms of ovarian cancer are insidious, and that's another sort of word that's not medical, but it, it means sort of slow and nondescript, nonspecific. So it could be anything, like because I've worked as an oncologist, I've seen women my age with ovarian cancer and younger suffer from and die from ovarian cancer. Every month, I think I have ovarian cancer. It's bloating, it's weird pains, it's feeling a bit tired, it's, you know, feeling a bit gassy. It's the kind of symptoms that you go and see your GP for and you get told, oh, it's nothing. You'll probably just a bit go home, um, especially if you're 30, 40s. Um, and I would say the youngest woman I saw with late stage ovarian cancer, at least in my last few years, was 32. 
So it's 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 like with a lot of things, you know, bleeding, weird periods, or a funny lump down there. Always going to go away on the vulva down there. I just said down there, but um, it's one of those things where um, because the consequences of ovarian cancer are huge. It's very fast growing. It's very deadly. It takes really being in tune with your body to just not ignore it mm. and not um, let anyone tell you that it's all in your head or it's mm. it's great to talk about it so that we don't have young girls like Mika lose their mums at such a young age mm. but it's also great to talk about it because it reminds us of all the other things could I, you know even if it's not ovarian cancer it could be some other cancer mm. it could be some other illness mm. it just reminds us to be sensitive about everything that's going on in the parts that we can see but also the parts we can't see but also to have the confidence to go and talk to someone about mm. it and I think that's that's why ovarian cancer is special because it's this silent invincible indescribable weird thing that sort of creeps up upon mm. you and and then takes over mm. I think and and since I lost my mum when she was 54 um, and it's 20 years ago now. And I, um, you know, I'm, I think that there's been massive progress made in terms of doctors' understandings of those specific cancers. So my mum was just told she had fibroids and it was her menopause. Um, she'd also had regular cystitis quite a lot. And I get cystitis quite a lot. And last week I had it again. And I was like, when am I? And she shared this. I had a chat with Venus about this podcast. And I was like, oh my God, I'm doing the thing that I tell everyone else to do, which is I've not been to the doctors about it. Yeah. And it's like, Venus did, research into women going to the doctors around things that they've got going on with their vagina vulva pubic area the whole the whole area and um, gynecological area and 58 percent of the women they asked said that they would prefer to google the symptoms and actually go and talk to the doctor about that specific area of their body and I was so shocked I just think that's so sad that 58 percent of women don't feel confident. And I don't even think it's just confidence. I think it's also that we get dismissed so much and we get dismissed so much. Let's listen, let's keep it really real. Uh, that area of our body changes massively. Like I get cystitis often just before my period, right? So it's like, is it that, or is it that, you know, am I going to ignore it? Like my mum did, my mum used to lie in the bath because she thought it was part of her perimenopause, you know, which, which, which way am I going to go and how nuts am I going to drive my doctor? That's me again. No, um, but at what stage, Steph, do you, when do women, when does a woman go? Is it that it needs to be consistent? Are there, do you need three or more symptoms? What, what would be your suggestion? And I know you're not an expert and I know this is a really difficult question, but from a personal point of view, now you're actually not being a doctor anymore. So you can say it because you're not you a in the NHS. What would you say to a woman? If it was your friend, if it was me, what would you say? Um, I think it's a very difficult. You can't. I mean, everyone's very that. different. I think that the important thing to say is trust yourself. I mean, you know, my coach always says to me, um, Stephanie, never. You have the strongest of instincts, which most women do, actually. Don't just um, follow them, obey them. And there's this thing, I think, with women where you know when something's wrong, you know when something's not right, and you know when something's really wrong. And the point is, if it's not right, go and seek help until someone listens. Mm. And I think if we just do that, even if lots of people are going to doctors with things that aren't important, mm. that's far better than a lot of people mm. not going or not having the confidence to mm. go. And I think that the more we do that, the more the people who are there and responsible for looking after us mm. um, are more sensitive to the fact that, okay, we need to just screen and reassure, screen mm. and reassure, and, mm. and, and then people will get more confident with identifying when mm. something's really not right. Mm. Yeah, yeah and sense. I also sort of talk about this in the book. Somehow or other, our medical system in this country particularly, but I think in many other countries around the world, is like about fixing the problems. And I know that we're NHS. And I know that the that they're really, you know, time poor and money poor. Uh, but like just kind of like building a relationship with your doctor outside of going in in a panic, I think is really, if you can, yeah. let like just check in once a year, go in and say, this is how my year's been just so they know who you are. I mean, we've got a really difficult situation at the moment where doctors have worked out they can have a better life if they locum. So they go into a surgery, take the four weeks, higher pay, and then have two weeks off. 
So the whole kind of thing of having a GP that you would have throughout your life is actually deteriorating, sadly, because of what's going on in the NHS. But I still think that your local surgery will have your notes and to build that relationship with them. When someone, when a woman goes in to talk to the doctor, two last questions, what should they say? What is it that they need to be saying in order to make sure they're taken seriously? And what are the tests currently for ovarian cancer? So um, firstly, I agree with you. I think that building some sort of relationship, not everyone is fortunate enough to be able to go and see a private doctor. Um, I consider it a luxury, but I think those of us who can should do so that we take pressure off the NHS. So I don't use the NHS anymore. Um, But I think that building the relationship, I don't use the NHS anymore, but actually interesting, I have a very good relationship with my GP and I've built that relationship. I've just got to find him and being the annoying person and the receptionist hate me, but I don't care. And Simon is a 60 year old white man and I love him and he listens to me and, you know, he's great, but I, 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 I was, you know, someone says, be the CEO of your own health. Don't let anyone tell you anything else and keep going back. And it's important. The NHS is is busy, but we all pay tax. So it's, you know, we've paid for it. So you've got to demand its services. Um, So building a relationship is one. Two, that relationship that makes you comfortable to talk about things. Um, But in general, I think being, using those words, understanding the anatomy, describing things and knowing what is what then enables you to communicate better and saying, Mm. it's not in my vulva. I feel something, but it's in my pelvis. Mm. It is not my bowel. So Mm. therefore it might be related to my ovaries Mm. and I've got this discharge. So I think I need a scan. No, I do need a scan. Mm. Well, why don't you just order me a scan anyway? Or, mm. you know, it's it's that really. I mean, we all sit on Instagram, we all read all the stuff, we all do the self-help, we all mm. follow, you know, like why don't we take mm. control of our health mm. more? And so it, when you have symptoms that aren't, that you're not quite sure about, I think it's that having a timeline, if it still bothers you, if it's if 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 you feel it's just not right and it's something recurring and it's still on your mind after three months, then you must go and say, listen, I can't describe it, but I know it's not right. And I think it would be such a shame if there were to be something serious. It's probably not doctor, but if there were to be something serious. Mm. Um and, and you talk about it, say, you know, I know that there are, you know, lots of symptoms that can be related to gynecological issues, whether mm. it's tubes and ovaries. There mm. are a lot of theories that mm. ovarian cancer start, actually starts in the fallopian tubes. Right. So the early signs can be something as little as pain or random spotting. I mean, so everyone's different. And it's, it's just really understanding that you have to be in tune and yeah. take control of your health and knock on doors until someone listens. Really. Yeah. And you've mentioned scans, but there's also a blood test called a CA125. There's a blood test that is not very sensitive for ovarian cancer. You have to be a bit far along, don't you? Well, even then, some types of ovarian cancer, it doesn't show. But it's like with lots of tests. It's like the, you know, classic anecdote where people go to GP and say, doctor, can I have a test for cancer? Mm. And, you know, most doctors be like, what is that? But it's it's a screening test more useful in women who are older Mm. and it can give you some sort of clue if you still have symptoms Mm. and the scan is negative but for younger women I'd Mm. say that a pelvic ultrasound costs costs very little and it's it's a start at least to see what's going on it can be quite fast growing ovarian cancer just because it's around a visceral organ can I ask you like Do you think that the reason that there's testing for prostate cancer and there isn't for ovarian is anything to do with medical misogyny? Or do you think it's because the ovaries are just completely different pathology? But do you, but if considering what I said about the fact that women's anatomy was drawn from animals and then hidden under flaps, like I, I, I know, I do understand, I do actually think because the women's bodies are more complicated than men's because we have the menstrual cycle. So, like, I am, I'm willing to, I'm willing (laughs) to say that it's not that. But do you think it's anything to do with the fact that doctors basically were men for centuries and women were only allowed to be doctors? I I think that there are lots of things where that is true, but for the given that prostate cancer is the most common cancer in in men, at least in in the Western world, the the, the anatomy or the, the sort of 
pathophysiology, the progression yeah. of disease is so different. So okay. um, prostate cancer is acts more like cervical cancer where there's a pre, pre-cancer, there's a pre-cancer, there's a progression stepwise so that you can, okay. you're more likely to catch it. And the PSA actually works the types of cancers. But where, but with women, it's so much more complicated because mm. CA125 is actually secreted anyway mm. in certain conditions. Mm-hmm. It's about hormonal change. So it's a complexity mm. of the disease mm. rather mm. than um, the understanding. And then the question then goes, well, why haven't we been able to find better tests? And then you could say it's because there is less funding in women's health. There we go. Um, and certainly if men got ovarian cancer... Yes. Such a disease that was so complex. Would we have found better tests? We can't. We, can't, we don't we know. Can't, we, we can't say definitely yes, but we can say very likely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Stephanie and Frauke, for sharing so honestly. Yeah, amazing. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.